Let's pray. Gracious God, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is right. God, you are holy and we're not. We are sinners that live in a sinful world that keeps distancing ourselves from you as a people, God. And everyone who is here this morning, everyone who is watching online, God, we know that you're real and we want, we want to know more of you. We, we want to draw close to your holiness. And so, God, I just pray that uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we look at Peter's, the beginning of Peter's great sermon this morning, that you would open our ears and that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have for us. You know, we know that you've brought us all together for a reason, and that reason is to give glory to you and to grow in our faith. And so, God, I just pray that you would give us that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have an Acts journal, we're on page 12, Acts 2, starting in verse 14. But before we do, I love that hymn. I love Holy, Holy, Holy. There's, I grew up in a household of hymns, and there's some of them that I just love. That's one of them. That guy that wrote that fancied himself a poet. Uh, he was an Anglican bishop, and so that's a hymn that very much is poetry, and, and he wanted to make sure that that theme of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, worked all the way through that hymn, and so it's consistent. And I asked Adri why, uh, before the first service, why did you pick that one before the message? And she said, well, what we're talking about is all three of them there, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. And the sermon that Peter preaches today, they have just seen the living Jesus who was crucified, died, and was buried, who's ascended into heaven, uh, they have seen and heard the promises of God their whole lives, and they have just been a part of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so indeed, it is a Trinity moment as we're stepping into this passage. This is uh, the beginning of, of the first sermon ever preached in the new Christian church. Christian church is brand new. It is just beginning. We are, we are reading about and seeing it formed. And the first sermon ever preached is by Peter. And he preaches to a crowd of thousands of people, a lot of whom are hostile and very dismissive of the Christians. And you talk about setting a bar for preaching in the Christian church for years to come. See, Peter set a bar that's almost unreachable. The result of this sermon that we're going to read, we're going to look at it this week and next week, the result was immediate and it is ongoing because we're still a part of it. We're still a part of the result of this first message 2,000 years later. Peter, he was the one who was bold and he was brash and he was overconfident to the point of being arrogant and prideful. He was the one that said, you know, Jesus, if you just let me walk out on the water with you. And so Jesus calls him out into the water and Peter's the only one that steps out of the boat and then he begins to sink and, and Jesus saves him. Peter's the one who expresses his undying, eternal love for Jesus, and then he's the same guy that denies him three times. Peter, the one that Jesus, we use the word restored, restored back to ministry. Peter, I love you. Do you love me? That's this Peter. And so last week we read about the presence of the Holy Spirit coming to this group of disciples that were gathered in this house doesn't give us an exact number, but it was a bunch of people. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, it sounded like the rush of a mighty wind. It wasn't a mighty wind, but it sounded like that. And so the people outside the house would have heard this in the streets below. 
The other thing that happened was when the Holy Spirit came and said there was tongues like fire that descended on people's heads. And what began to happen, the result of the Holy Spirit's presence, was you've got all these people in Jerusalem that are gathered for the festivals, that comes from all the different parts of the world around Jerusalem, all speaking different languages. And when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples and the others gathered in that room, it says that they began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them power. And they spoke in languages that they didn't know. They spoke in languages that they didn't understand. But someone on the other end heard it and they did understand. And that's called the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit gives some people the gift of tongues to speak in a language that isn't their own. And everybody heard the good news of the gospel in their own language. Nothing was lost in translation. Nothing was left for possible confusion. But what ended up happening is there was confusion because what Peter ended up hearing about was the people in the crowd. Some of them, it said all the people were in awe. So that wasn't in question. But it says some of them said, well, they're just drunk. It's early in the morning and they're drunk. That's all they are. Well, what so often, so often happens with, with gossip around the church is stuff that someone's never meant to hear. You know, it's probably best not to say it because eventually it's going to come back around and Peter heard it. Peter heard what people were saying. And so in verse 14, he's going to begin. He, he's going to be the, the self-appointed one of the twelve. They've replaced Judas. We, we heard about how that all happened because the full number is twelve, so there's twelve of them. Verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He was the spokesman for the disciples. He has kind of always played that role, but now it's, it's in a whole new way. He is definitely the spokesman for the disciples. But it's important because they all stood together. So you can imagine wherever they were, and, and most people think it probably they moved from this home because there was all these people to the south steps of the temple because it would have only been a couple of blocks. That would be the natural place. We're going to talk about that more next week. Probably that was the biggest gathering place for this crowd of thousands of people. But Peter and the disciples all stood before them. Why all of them? Because it was important that Peter spoke for them as a spokesman, but everybody understood that they were in unity. Peter wasn't giving his definition or his explanation. He was speaking for the disciples, and he was about to speak from God. And so we do that once in a while here when we've got important announcements or, or uh, big things that are happening. All of the elders, and, and we have a, when we have all of them, we have seven elders right now. We've got six. And all the elders come up and they all stand in unity that they're all behind whatever it is that's being said. And there's that statement of unity. And then one of them acts as the spokesman for the group. Well, that's what Peter's doing. They're all standing together in unity. This, this Peter, who was, he would have been an interesting man to have known because on one hand, he was just over the top, almost in his arrogance, on the other side, he was almost childish in, in the way that he denied Jesus. But something's changed. He had encountered the living Jesus, and now he had encountered the risen Jesus. He had been a part of seeing prophecies fulfilled. And he'd been in the room when the Holy Spirit entered that room and, and empowered all of them to speak a language they didn't know. Suddenly there's this renewed authority that Peter has. There's a power in his preaching, there's a passion, there's a conviction that can really only come from someone who has been transformed. And how has he been transformed? By his interaction with the risen Christ and by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the important thing to note there is 
This isn't just for Peter. Jesus didn't come that we could have a change to be better, right? Just our life is different. That's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came that we might be transformed. And Peter has been transformed by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is something that every one of us has the opportunity to be as well. That new creation the Bible talks about, Peter is it. This is what is giving voice to Peter, is that he is a new creation in Jesus. More than likely, south uh, steps of the temple, uh, right now there's a big street that goes out in front of it. Uh, I'm going to, in a week or two, show you some pictures of where this probably happened. But you've got to picture thousands of people And Peter starts out and he says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, they have just given a hard time saying, These guys are Galileans. They're not smart enough to speak in a foreign language. They got a hard time speaking their own language. That was one of the things that they said. Well, he addressed that. Men of Judea, because a lot of men were from that area. They were from the desert area, that region in Galilee. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my voice. Peter is about to give an explanation to what they had just experienced, seen, and heard. Not all of them were in the upper room, but they had heard what was going on in the upper room as a gathered crowd. Imagine, say there's a hundred people in that upper room, and all of them at the same time start speaking a language that isn't their own, but everybody who's on the street, thousands of people, are able miraculously to hear that language and hear their own native tongue being spoken by this group. That's a lot of noise. And so Peter is giving explanation to this. thing is, there's, there's no simple explanation because it isn't a normal circumstance. And it's an important thing for us to get a grip on as Christians today is that God is not limited the way that we are in our explanations. We say we want to explain the things of God. There was this great epic poem by John Milton that he was going to explain the works of God to man. You can't do it. We can read What's in the Bible? That's how God has presented himself to us. But in our experiences and in the way that God moves in our world, there are some things that just simply go beyond simple explanation. Our simple minds fail to adequately comprehend the incomprehensible power of God. And we have to be okay with that. I think one of the best examples is where the Bible begins in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created. Tells me everything that I need to know. It isn't an explanation. It's a statement of who did what. God created. Well, that's not always okay with people because we want to know how and we want to have definitions and we want to have more answers. And so science comes along and science comes up with what's called the Big Bang. And everything began at the Big Bang. The whole universe sprang into existence. The thing that they can't talk about, they don't know, is where did it all come from? What initiated it? What was the cause? So they call it the Big Bang Theory. And yet in the Bible it says, in the beginning God created. I've got to believe that if God is out there and there's nothing that has been created yet, and God begins to speak everything into existence, if human ears had been there, it would have sounded like a Big Bang It's okay with me that the Bible says that in the beginning God created. That's as much as I need to know. All the rest of the questions I might have, God will answer in due time. And Peter is going to begin to answer some of those questions. We've got the question mark up here. Remember I told you the book of Acts presents answers to questions we didn't even know to ask. And that's what Peter is doing today. So he says, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. 
Bible tells time different than we do. Uh, back in that day, they went in three-hour blocks. You hear the first hour of the day, the third hour of the day, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. Uh, the first hour of the day was 6 a.m. This says it's the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day would be 9 a.m. Peter's saying they're not drunk. It's too early in the morning. That's not an adequate explanation for what happened. But the best explanation that some people could come up with was that these guys were just drunk and babbling. Either they'd been going all night or they started awfully early in the morning. But they were drunk and babbling and none of it made sense. But that isn't true because Luke also tells us earlier that all the people were amazed. Because they heard the good news of God in their own language. See, it wasn't drunk babbling. It was highly articulate speaking in the exact language that other people could understand. And it all happened at the same time. So it was a tremendous noise. But as is always the case when the Holy Spirit is there, there was order in what all seemed to be chaos. See, what, what's sad to me is 2,000 years later, we haven't gotten any better. In 2,000 years, we still struggle with not being able to explain when God is at work among us. We struggle with it. And, and, and one of the words that we use is miracle. But so many people aren't okay with not being able to provide a simple, common-sense, logical answer to whatever it is that they've witnessed, that they end up writing it off. They dismiss it as though somehow they, they didn't understand it correctly. And so we rewrite our memories in order to be able to explain what we saw in a way that makes sense so that people don't think that, that we've lost our minds or that we're crazy. And yet the simple fact of the matter is, most of God, we're never going to be able to explain. In holy, 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 he uses the phrase, though the darkness hide thee. It isn't that God is hiding from us, it's that there's just so much of God that we fail to comprehend and understand that even when we do experience it, we dismiss it. And, and you know the word that we use? We use the word coincidence. See, the Bible, the Bible gives us answers, answers that we know that we can trust science works to give us explanations. And both of them do their thing very, very well. But we can't expect them to do something for each other that's outside of what they're there for. So the Bible gives us answers. Science tries for explanations. And we feel like we have to explain what it is that God is doing. And sometimes we just don't have the words. One of the things you'll notice for ten and a half years, every time I've opened a worship service around here, we invite the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. Now, God does not need our permission to send his Holy Spirit to work. Believe me, I understand that. But what we want God to know is that we are open to the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit in this place. That, that we are open to whatever it is that God wants to do. And we want you to know that we're open to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And the trouble that so many people have is that we, we come up with ways to dismiss when the Holy Spirit actually shows up and does something miraculous. That rather than, than, than accepting it and just simply giving testimony to it, we rewrite our memories and we come up with an answer or an explanation that's actually different than what we really experienced. So one of the things you need to understand is that I believe in and I pray for and I expect to witness miracles in this place. Not because there's anything special about me, believe me. But I believe in it, and I expect to see miracles because God says that's one of the signs of His Holy Spirit being present and at work somewhere. 
The miracles are going to happen, things that we can't create, things that we can't make happen, that God does. Sometimes we pray for them, sometimes God just gives them to us. I remember years ago, and something similar has happened more than once around here, years ago when we were at our North 40 campus, a lady showed up one Sunday, had never seen her before. After the service, I see that she's talking to some of our folks in the corner. They come and get me and say, we need to pray for her. I said, okay, what do we need to pray about? And they pulled out her x-ray, and her x-ray showed all these black spots on her lungs. And the diagnosis was horrible. The prognosis was horrible. And she said, I heard that you're a praying church that prays for miracles, and I'd like you to pray for a miracle. Okay. So our prayer folks went to work, and they set to praying. It was awesome to be a part of. She told us that she had an appointment the next day, and then she had surgery coming up later on. So we prayed for her the next day when we were just together and we all agreed that we would do that. And she had her appointment. She came back the next Sunday and she brought another x-ray. And it was completely clear. There's no spots on that x-ray. Another church, another place, another time. Very same thing happened with another guy. But the results were very, very different. Do, do you know what happened after that second Sunday? She said, thank you for praying. God did a miracle. I don't have to have surgery. There's nothing for them to do. Do you know what happened the next week? She was gone. We never saw her again. She showed up one Sunday saying, would you please pray for a miracle because I hear you do that. The next Sunday she comes back and she said, God gave me a miracle. I don't need surgery. The third Sunday, she went back to where she came from and lived a very healthy life. Years later, or excuse me, years before, the very same thing had happened and the guy jumped into church for all he was worth. Allowed himself to be radically transformed because God had done what the doctors couldn't. And when miracles happen, when we see the power of God at work among us, some people simply run away. They can't explain it. They don't understand it. They they don't know what it is that they should do next, but they know that they've got to do something different. They know that they've just seen God alive and at work in the world. And rather than dealing with that and allowing God to continue to work on them, they simply run away. And then other people dive in head first and say, God, I want more of you. See, despite all the evidence, a lot of people who go to church today still dismiss miracles as coincidence. They they deny the power of God at work among us. And what, what Peter is talking about is the power of God at work among us. Verse 16, Peter says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He is going to now address them with a prophet that they knew and trusted and understood. It's an Old Testament prophet to us. Uh, there was no New Testament at this time, understand. They're living it. They're living out what will become the New Testament. But he goes back to one of their prophets, something that they were already looking forward to, a voice that they knew and a voice that they could trust, the voice of the prophet Joel. So he begins to read. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They're living in that right now, that the the God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. That's what they've just experienced. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants, the least important people around. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. This is what they've just observed. This is explanation to what they've just seen from the words of a prophet that they already trust. And Peter had all of this memorized. He didn't show up with a book and start reading. He just started reciting. 
And it goes on, verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. That all sounds exciting because people love talking about end times and when's it going to happen? Are we in the last days? But Peter gets to the most important part. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Witnessing miracles doesn't bring people to faith. Not faith that lasts. The Bible talks about that. Signs and wonders are awesome things. They're great to see. But what Peter is clear about is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That comes from their own prophet, Joel. And what Peter is doing in this sermon is telling everybody out there that if you will just believe that this truly was God at work, that this was God's Holy Spirit at work, you also can be saved. It's the same message that he would have us hear today. He goes on, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. He specifically addresses the men because the men were the ones who made the decisions that he's about to talk about. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. They knew Jesus. They knew of Jesus. They had seen Jesus. They had seen and heard the miracles and the signs and the wonders he'd done. There were men who had died who were alive and walking among them. There were people who had been blind and unable to walk their whole lives that now could see and could walk. There are people that had been deaf. There's a man that they had chained up in a cemetery who Jesus had healed, who came back to them and started talking to them. They knew the signs and the wonders that Jesus had done during his life. They were aware of the miracles. They were aware of of the incredible life and all of the good that this man did. Verse 23 says, This Jesus, the one that you know, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. They didn't even have the courage to do it themselves. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You maybe think that you've heard challenging sermons in church before. That's got nothing to what Peter did this day. You talk about hitting people hard. Peter was hitting people hard. He's explaining what happened, but he's also explaining why. That it's God among them, it's Jesus, it's about salvation. This one that you crucified and killed. This Jesus that Peter speaks of, he's no stranger to this crowd. They all knew who he was at this point. They'd all heard about the crucifixion. They'd all heard about the resurrection. At this point, they'd heard that he'd gone back to heaven. The question is that not all of them believed him. Not all of them believed in him. They knew who he was, but they didn't believe in him. So here's my question for you today. Do you just know who Jesus is, or do you believe in him and have salvation through him? Because there's a huge difference, an eternal difference. This crowd knew Jesus. But Peter is saying, if you don't believe in him, there is still salvation in his name. So are you here today because you want to know more about him? Or because you want you believe in Him and you want to live to serve Him. It's why this sermon is so important. And it's 100% relevant to us today. Peter could be speaking it to any Christian church on earth. See, the question 
is not whether Peter is preaching to you or I, because he is, because we're responsible for Jesus' death on the cross. It's our sin, yours and mine, that helped to put him there. The question is whether or not you and I are going to hear Peter's words and accept that they're to us. You crucified and killed him. I don't like thinking that. But everything about the Bible tells me that that's true. But God, in his great love, God allows us to dismiss even that hurtful stuff, even the most direct. God allows us to dismiss it, allows us to dismiss his work among us and our responsibility for Jesus' death. And usually we write off the greatest of miracles as fortuitous coincidence. And I bet you know what I mean. You've probably prayed for something. There was nothing on earth that could solve the situation. There was nothing that was going to change the diagnosis or resolve the financial problem. There was nothing that was going to change the health of somebody you loved. There was nothing going to change the way that your heart was broken. There was nothing in the world that was going to change. And so you threw out a 911 because you had nothing else to risk. And you pray asking for a miracle. And when God delivers, what we so often do is we say, it was such a coincidence. I've been praying about that just a week before. There are no coincidences to the Christian. There are God incidences. And sometimes the only thing that we can do is to explain it as a miracle. See, we can also, in addition to calling it a coincidence, we can also choose to accept and acknowledge that God and His Holy Spirit are still very much alive and at work in our world today. We can be grateful for them. We can speak as eyewitnesses to what God is doing all around us. That it isn't coincidences, it's miracles, it's God-ordained incidences. But what do you believe? Are you one of those that if you actually saw God show up that big in that way, that you would run because you would know it required something else from you? Or are you one of the ones that's just grateful that things happened to work out and the coincidence fell in your favor? See, the great thing is God lets you decide what you'll believe. God lets you choose who you'll believe in. Our prayer around here, we pray that you choose to believe in Him. We pray that you choose to experience His great love for you and in doing that, experience the incredible power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work within you. So which person are you? Are you a coincidence believer or a God incidence believer? Are you one of the ones that would have called those folks drunk that day because there was no explanation? Or would you have said, wow, God is doing something I can't even begin to explain. I don't even understand it, but I know God's at work. So what do you believe? Because what you believe leads to the more important question. And the more important question is, who do you believe in? Peter says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in him. Who do you believe in today? Let's pray. God, thank you for Peter. Thank you for this powerful sermon that we're just starting to get into. Thank you that that he understands sinfulness and pride and arrogance and and not acknowledging and recognizing when your power is at work around him because he got it wrong so many times. But here in this message, he gets it right. God, we want to get it right. We need to be okay that we can't explain everything about you. We can't answer everyone's questions. 
But we can know that you're real. We can know that you're true. We can know that you love us and we can know that you're holy. And so God, I would, I would simply pray this, that to anyone who is doubting, that you would bless them with your Holy Spirit and bring them faith. To anyone who's hurting, that you would bring them peace. To anyone who's questioning, you would bring them either peace or the answers that they need to see you for who you are. For those who are wanting to grow, God, I pray that you would give them your Holy Spirit to help them grow. To people who are afraid, God, whether it's, it's the continued talk of the pandemic all around us or a financial situation or whatever it is, to, to anyone who is afraid, God, that the peace of your Holy Spirit that passes all understanding would settle in on them and they would know maybe they need to do some things, but they don't need to be afraid. God, you know what we need. And it isn't a coincidence when we begin to have feelings and understandings and beliefs that change. It's not a coincidence. It's a God incident. It's you at work in our lives. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as you go, I want to go back to something we used to do years ago when we were uh, at North 40. Uh, we would end the service very simply, and, and it was this. You know something that the people in the world around you don't know and don't understand. It's as simple as Jesus loves you. And you know that Jesus loves you, but there's people that you encounter every day. And the things that you say and the things that you do, and that simple phrase, Jesus loves you, could change somebody's eternity forever. So always remember, no matter what the day looks like, Jesus loves you.